Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to the women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. Today's guest is Sean Edwards. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Susan. It's great to be here. Awesome. I know we were introduced by a mutual friend, but why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, you want the long story or the short story? Uh, whatever story you want to tell, this is your time. <laughs> well, let's go with the short story. So <laughs> my, uh, my JD is from uh, South Texas College of Law here in Houston, Texas. And my BA in political science is from the University of West Florida. I'm a member of the Texas State Bar, and I'm currently an e-discovery consultant for Granite Legal Systems. Um, that's the short. That's the short. Well, why don't you tell us, because when I met you, I was so thrilled to hear about what you do for a living. So you sort of have a really unique niche and a special gift, and I would love for you to share that story with our audience. Sure. Well, I think you're referring to the fact that I do parent coordination and parent facilitation. Yes. So that's an, so that's kind of an interesting story. So that's not actually my day job. My day job is with Granite Legal uh, uh, Systems and I do electronic discovery. So that's all about zeros and ones, right? It's right. all about making a machine do a thing and spit out a result that I'm either a looking for or need to tweak in order to get something else okay so in 2011 my mother uh, who is a marriage and family therapist she's an LPC decided to retire and she had been doing parent coordination and parent facilitation uh, for many many years before it was actually statutory uh, uh, by the Texas legislature so in any event she decides to retire and she says Honey, I want to retire, but there's no one to take over my existing cases that won't finish by the time I retire. I said, yeah, I'm not interested. That was it. I was like, no, the answer is no. Because I do zeros and ones. Okay, I don't do feelings. If you grow up with a, a parent that is in marriage and family therapy, you know, eventually you're like, you know what, I just want the zeros and ones. My mother says, honey, really, really, I can't retire. There's nobody else I would trust. I really want you to do this. How can you tell your mom no? So, you can't tell my mom. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, my mother is just a fantastic person. And so she essentially talked me into it. So I spent a year under her tutelage, okay, to learn how to do this work. And it's really, really interesting. Um, so parents... And parent facilitation is court ordered by the family courts here in Texas. It's also available in other states, uh, let's be clear, uh, but they may call it something else. And so you work with these high conflict families and you work with the parents uh, for the best interest of the children. Okay? And so these are what we call frequent filers. Okay? So they, they litigate like everything. Okay? There's, no, there's no stone left unturned. So it's very um, rewarding on the one hand, when you can get them to do what you want them to do, right? Right. Uh, and, but it's also at the same time, 
you know, kind of disconcerting because you're, you're like, what? Why are we fighting over this? It was five minutes, right? But, you know, it is what it is. So around that same time, um, there was increased interest in uh, uh, teaching other people how to do parent coordination and parent facilitation. So I actually started teaching. My mother and I um, actually uh, taught classes together for the first year. And then I, she's like, I'm done. I'm retired. Leave me alone. <laughs> and so I took on, <laughs> I took on our caseload, um, as well as teaching the, the CLE and CEs, um, sometimes three times a year, but most of the time, twice a year. Um, I teach other uh, people, whether they're attorneys or other licensed professionals, how to do this work. And so it's interesting because my mother, while we were doing this year-long training, I mean, there's like, she's no PC, she's a marriage and family therapist. And so talking about the feelings. Now, I'm zeros and ones, okay? I'm like, just do what I tell you to do. Just do this thing. My mother's like, no, you can't say those words. I'm like, okay. Over time, over time, my mother gets me to the part where, now remember, I'm a lawyer, okay? So I want facts. I want, you know, cut and dried, okay? What are we doing? As a computer person, I want zeros and ones. My mother's over here, who's, I don't know, five foot one, maybe weighs 110 pounds, all about the feelings. <laughs> yes. Right? And how do you feel about this? I'm like, no one cares how they feel. No one cares. They have to do <laughs> right by their children. No one cares, right? Pick the kid up when you're supposed to pick the kid up. How is this a problem, right? My mother's like, no, honey, no. You have to pay attention. Look at this. Look at that. And so thus began my part-time career as a parent coordinator and parent facilitator and as a teacher um, in, in uh, that arena as well. That's so funny. I want to tell you, um, so I'm married to, your, to you and I am your mother. <laughs> so that's how. <laughs> I'm always reminding my husband that, yes, of course, it's important to be, you know, analytical and reasoned and logical, but transformational leadership means feelings and EQ and all that stuff that your mom is all about. So I can get it. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. And what's so interesting about that, though, is, you know, as a leader and as a, as a professional, right? For, I mean, supervising teams up to 150 people at, at certain points in my career. I understood that other people had, you know, feelings much like I did, right? I get that. But what's odd is, I think, because I had been in the Navy, right? So I, think Navy. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but I was 17 years old when I enlisted in the military. My mother actually had to sign for me, if you can believe that. But it's wow. True. You did true, not yeah, tell, wait, so hang on, Sean, hang on, hold, but let's go back a minute. You did not tell me that because I would have been like, so out of, like jumping through the roof. We're a Navy family. My husband is a nuclear submariner in 06. Nice, very nice. Well, I was uh, by the time I got out, I was a lowly uh, E five, right? Oh, so I only I lowly. Spent, <laughs> That's not lowly. I spent <laughs> I spent uh, six years active, and then followed at that up with uh, three years of reserve service. So nine, wow. so Thank nine years. Thank you for your yeah. service. Oh my God. 
That's awesome. Oh, well, you're quite welcome. Yeah, so I was young, right? I mean, I was enlisted, right? I, I was 17, okay? And you know, one of the things, <laughs> one of the things you kind of learn out of the gate is no one cares how you feel. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of drummed true. out of you when you're in boot camp, okay? <laughs> Nobody cares how you feel. You know, get up, do the job. Nobody cares how you feel. Are you crying? Still crying here. You know, I mean, seriously, right? Nobody cares yes, how you feel. That's true. They don't. Do what I tell you to do, when I tell you to do it, and how I tell you to do it, right? That's, that's what happens. So I was, I was young, right? I'm, I'm 17 years old. I go into the service, and no one cared how I felt, okay? And so you just got up and you did the job. So imagine <laughs> coming out of that six years, right? Six years. My formative uh, adult as a professional, okay? So imagine my surprise when I get out of the service and I take my first civilian job and people are like, so how are you? And I'm like, what difference does it make? I'm here. <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> Why would you ask that question? <laughs> Why? What? Right. Who cares? And yeah. so what? Right. And then, you know, and somebody would come in now, granted, I was not at that point, not in a supervisory role, which is probably good for everyone. And it wasn't that I was immune to feelings. Don't misunderstand me. But what I understood, because remember, I was in, I was in the Navy, 1981 to 1987. Okay? So this was kind of back in the day. Did you and have so, big hair or did the Navy say no to that? Because <laughs> a Texas well, girl from, you know, in the 80s. I know I had big hair, a Louisiana girl in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah, there was some there was some big hair on the weekends. There was no big hair Monday through Friday. I love it. Weekend That's a true cat. story. Yeah, yeah. Well, and well, are, did you know or are you aware that you know you had to wear a fingernail polish that was complimentary to your skin tone? Yes, yes. Um, so guess what? I did not have colored fingernail polish on my fingernails. But I had bright red toenails every single day of my active duty career. <laughs> you go, girl. You show them. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so great. Yeah, so, I mean, so seriously, it wasn't that I was immune to feelings, right? Because I had a lot of people working for me when I was a supervisor on, on, on various shifts when I was in the service. But you were talking not about feelings. You were talking about how do I make the next rank? How do I do this? How do I do that? There wasn't a lot of how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? There just, it just didn't exist. So that was something that I probably had like a little bit of a, a hole to fill. Okay. Yeah. And so it's true. I had a little bit of a hole to fill, which never actually kind of got filled all the way because, you know, Fast forward to 2011, my mother's like, no, honey, you can't just tell people what to do. You have to listen and, you know, observe their feelings. I'm like, why? Why? So, but, you know, as I, as I rose through the civilian ranks, you know, as a professional and had more and more people working for me, I understood that outside influences impacted performance in a way that's very different from being in the military. In the military, there's this, there's this wall, this odd kind of wall 
that says, when you go through these doors, you don't have any personal problems. I, I, it was, it's, maybe that was the time in which I served. They okay? own you. So it was, right? And so, you know, it took a while for me to get the hang of the idea that people would come to work and bring their problems with them, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so I had to learn a whole new, so I had to learn a whole new skill set, a whole new skill set. I was very good at mentoring about saying, you know, here's what you need to do to do this and how can I be of assistance and blah, blah, blah. I was less uh, well-versed in saying, hmm, so you're having an emotional crisis because in my universe, that stopped at the door. It took me a while to really get my arms wrapped around that. Gotcha. And I wonder sometimes if that's not, I, I wonder sometimes if that's not um, a problem that other women in particular may have who served in the military or uh, served in a male dominated <clears throat> uh, profession. Well, where I, I, I want to say, I don't wonder because you're right. Studies show that is true and that especially in the 1990s, um, women tried to mimic men in order to be successful. And what happens today is women who are ugly and competitive with other women, they don't realize that instead of clawing at each other, they need to change the operating system, claw at the system. You're describing uh, you know, a lot of male-dominated industries. Um, I wanna make a quick book recommendation before you get too, long, too down the path on this story because you are spot on with what you described the military, at least the way it was, I don't know anymore. But um, there's a book called Permission to Feel by Dr. Mark Brackett. He heads up Yale's uh, uh, Institute on Emotional Intelligence. And he's trying to create a, an atmosphere in corporate America where we can feel during the day and we can incorporate EQ into the workspace. So that plays right into what you were just saying. Yeah, no, I, um, I'll happily read that, um, happily. And, you know, to be fair and honest, um, you know, my mother has been a huge part of my growth in that regard because <clears throat> she understood when I came home, she's like, honey, you are wearing this armor. Not everyone is the enemy. And I was like, what do you mean everybody's not the enemy? They are the enemy. And so... Because when I had served, there were very few women um, that I actually served with. Most of them were men. And sexual harassment was kind of at an all-time high. So I'm sure, you know, and if you don't remember, you know, you can Google tailhook, right? Oh, so yeah. I almost actually I went. I, I almost actually went there, okay? So I was in a helicopter squadron. And so some of the guys were like, hey, there's this party, blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget, the chief came to me and he said, you thinking about going to that? And I said, yeah. And he's like, no, you don't go. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I didn't go. True story. True story. I'm glad that he said that to you. Yeah. So, you know, there was this um, armor, you know, that I came out of the military with um, that it took a really long time for me to break down. Um, and also it took a while, and again, you know, coaching with, from my mom, uh, to really help me be more human and less robotic. 
Yeah. Because I really shut down a lot of, I really shut down a lot of things when I was in the military. Do you think that's a defense mechanism? Absolutely. Self-preservation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you recognized it. And I'm so glad that your mom, um, obviously your mom adores you, but was willing to be <laughs> patient enough to help you work through that. Because as you know, leadership is not leadership without EQ, especially in this day and age. No, that's, and that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And I was also fortunate um, that as I made progress on the professional ladder, um, I was able to take a lot of the lessons. And, and I, I don't know, I don't know if this happened for you, but my mom got smarter the, the older I got. <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> my and son, I would, and my I would son, be, my son is 19. So apparently my husband and I are idiots. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so as I, as I moved up the professional ladder and began to be more than uh, a supervisor and more than a shift supervisor and more than right. As I rose right. where I actually had, you know, some, some, true personnel type of responsibilities i could hear my mother's voice in the back of my head and so i would say okay what's the right response and so i was able to this is going to sound horrible but you know fake it until i made it because i i, I really didn't have that skill set yet and so it took a while to really you know kind of get with the program but man once it clicked once it clicked I was in it and it was, it was not really a problem. Now, fast forward to 2011 and you're working with high conflict parents whose acts are having a detrimental effect on their children. And I kind of revert back to the military, quite frankly, I just want them to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good luck with that. I know it's, uh, don't even get me going on that. You know, you've made the perfect segue to this next question I have. You know, how can women help other women? How can women support other women in business? Well, you know, I think that really it's about identifying unrealized potential. Oh, awesome. I, yeah, I, I've worked with a lot of project managers. And what's so interesting to me about women as project managers is the number of times that I hear, well, this is what I, this is what I do. And, and the, you know, I'm going to be a project manager. Maybe one day I'll be a senior project manager. I'm like, how come you're not going to be a director? You've got all the skills, you know, you, you do only three things and watch that director position magically appear for you. Right. So That's it's, awesome. it's truly, yeah, it's truly identifying unrealized potential and have a conversation. Some people aren't interested. Right. Some people are real happy where they are. And you have to understand that as well, because your confidence in them and what you see in them may not be anything that they're interested in. My mom has said to me, there's a lot to be said for pumping gas. And, and, and there's some truth to that. Right. Some people don't want the added responsibility. Some people don't want the added stress. Some people like right where they are and it's OK for them to stay there. I think you have to advocate to them about themselves. One of the things that is one of the things that's been so disturbing to me throughout my career is a number of women who don't have self-confidence 
you can have degrees, you can have certificates, you can have all of these things. And when you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them, whether it's your quarterly review, your annual review, by just talking with them, you understand um, that they simply don't have the same self-belief that you have in them, right? That's that so you've got to help them. Yeah, and so you have to loan them sometimes your confidence. Um, you have to help them find their voice, and you have to help them find their passion. And, and it's interesting to me that so many of the women that I have met have fallen into their, their path. It wasn't by design. And so my question to them is, if you had to do it over, if you had to design it over, what would you do? And is there a way that you can take that, pair it with what you already know, pair it with already what your experiences are and make that happen? And you'd be surprised at the number of women who actually have never thought about that. Yeah, no, I look, so what you're, you're singing, this is my song. A lot of women who, it's not that they're, they might be faking it till they make it, but to the outside world, we recognize strengths and skills in them that they don't honor because they're playing small. Now they may not mean to, it may not be conscious, but that imposter syndrome is real and the majority, Honestly, I know I'm kind of weird. I've always been very confident, very outspoken, but most women I know are not like that. They are what you described. So I'm glad that that's a unique um, answer to that question. Um, no one's ever answered that question that way on this show. Um, I, I love that. That's, you, you certainly are a unique and different kind of individual. I'm, I'm glad to have you in my network. Well, let me ask you. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel like I can pick up the phone and ask you advice. So um, what has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome it? Well, <clears throat> I want to start with a story if that's all right. Sure. Okay. So my grandpa uh, from Covington, Indiana worked in a steel mill. Okay, he was a foreman in a steel mill. And he dropped a beam of steel on his big toe, broke it, okay? To the point where when you look down at his boot, his toe was cranked up. So you know what he did? He took his other foot, smashed his toe back down and went back to work. True story. I believe Same grandpa. Wow. Same, same grandpa, same grandpa, same steel mill, actually broke his bicep muscle. You know what he did? Wrapped it up, went back to work. So that's part one. <clears throat> part two is my mother, who you can already tell, you know, is my best friend, my champion, my mentor, you know, she's just awesome. And, you know, I love her to pieces. And she's had a chronic lung disease for all of her life. As a matter of fact, she had her left lung removed uh, at Mayo Clinic in 1968. Again, true story. Wait, and wait, this woman, oh, hold on, let's unpack that. She, you said she had her lung removed? Left lung removed. Whoa. And lived, and lived, absolutely I lived. didn't even know that was a thing. It was a thing. See, a lot of people don't know, right? Wow. And so, you know, she's really struggled with this, this it's, it's called bronchiectasis, and she struggled with it for a really long time. And it's presented issues and problems for her throughout her life. Nevertheless, 
she's raised you know, three children, myself, my, and my sister, and my brother. Um, started off as a secretary back in the day, went to school, um, was a teacher in private education for a period of time, um, got into marriage and family therapy late. She was in her late 40s, early 50s, um, set up her own practice. Uh, and did that until she turned 71, okay? It's amazing. Amazing woman, okay? Amazing. Um, and so she started running in 1989. We started racing what? together. No True story. way. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's kind of funny because um, she'd come back from a serious health issue and I was like, mother, you need to run. She's like, I can't run. I said, yes, you can. This is what we're going to do. And Thanksgiving, there's going to be a 5K. We're going to do it. She said, honey, I can't do it. I said, yes, you can. Let's practice. We start running. We train together, blah, 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 blah. Fast forward to Thanksgiving. Here we are. <laughs> I had a couple of guys from the gym that I, that I worked out at would come out um, because on the off chance that there was a problem, I wanted two big buff guys to carry her butt wherever it needed to go. So here we all are, we're going, surrounding my mother, and we're running, and we're running, and her run is like a very, very slow jog. There's no, there's no Olympic-style sprints here, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, so here we go, and we're the last ones to cross the finish line. As a matter of fact, the cop car, right, um, is right behind us and he's like hey do you ladies want to ride i was like no <laughs> no we don't want to ride and so you know we cross the finish line and she wins first place for her age group because you know she was the only one but it That's was awesome. so perfect <laughs> yeah it was so perfect and she was like i love this this is fabulous and so she has raced um <laughs> ever since okay that's amazing so that's part true yeah all true story okay she has a fantastic lung function probably because she runs okay so in any event here we go to part three my most challenging so i have this little problem and i go to the doctor and they become hysterical and i have to have a kidney biopsy and they're like you know you're in stage four kidney failure you've got an autoimmune thing going on with your kidneys wow so so we're going to put you on this cocktail uh, for about six months and you're going to do daily chemo and you're going to be on 80 milligrams of prednisone and you know hopefully this will quiet it all down and if it does then you can stay in remission for 10 years after that it will be as if you never had a kidney problem I was like okay how like, old my mother up and I'm like this happened it was 12 years ago wow oh thank god 12 years so I call up my mother and I'm like, you know, hey, you know, bad things are happening to nice people over here. I got to do this thing, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I make fun of it, but I was devastated, okay? Because if it didn't work, bad, it, you know, it was really going to be bad. So I'm, I'm making light of it, um, but I, trust me when I say to you, it was a very scary time in my life. I'm and, sure. but I come from a long line of people that get up and go to work. Grandpa. Okay, that's why I told you part one and part two. Yeah. Okay. So what was my greatest challenge? I did a chemo run for six months, um, solved the problem, and I missed approximately four hours of work during that time. 
Oh my because God. in my family, in my family, you suck it up and you go to work. Grandpa and mom and you, insanely, insanely strong people. Very powerful. That's, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, that was my, my biggest challenge was being scared to death of this disorder, this disease. I'm so and, glad and, you're fine though now. That's crazy good. Yeah. And so, you know, again, back to my mom, right, who does marriage and family therapy as well as, you know, drug and alcohol counseling. She said, one day at a time, baby. And if you can't do one day at a time, do one step. And that's exactly what I did. Well, you're awesome. Let me ask you something. This is the part in the show where I ask the guest a wild card question. It's something you didn't know about, something I don't know about. I reach into a box of 144 questions. And I pull a card out and I ask you, are you game? Absolutely. I would imagine you would be. Oh, this is an easy one. What is the section of the bookstore that you like best? Assassin Thriller. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so, uh, thrillers and spy stuff and murders and interesting. Well, like Robert, yeah, Robert Ludlum, his favorite author. Nice. I read nice. books. Yeah, I reread his books one right after the other. They're fascinating to me. Awesome. Well, you're fascinating to me. Um, if people want to reach you, I know how to reach you, but how can they reach you? Well, uh, my email address is s you know, as in Sean, E-D-W-A-R-D-S at granitelegal.com. And of course, you can always call me. Uh, my office number is 713-652-0881. Sean, you're one of the most fascinating women I've ever never met, but I feel like I know you <laughs> have for a long time. You're a wonderful person, and I'm so happy you're in my network. Well, thank you. I'm so pleased to uh, have met you and I'm pleased to be a part of your network. You bet. I think we should get your mom on this show someday. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And everybody, thanks for listening in and we'll see you next time.